Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Taking advantage to wrap, stepping away from the microphone to start the podcast. <laughs> Father John, Father Mike here with the uh, boys from Gregorian Rant. Hey, uh, Father Brian Larkin, Patrick Davini. And we're off. Uh, great to be with you guys. This is uh, round two of the 411 sessions. We are uh, uh, here on the campus of Our Lady of Lords uh, recording, and uh, these are the two. Uh, so Father Brian, uh, as many of you know, is a companion brother, and um, and Patrick uh, is a great friend who also works here at the parish. And uh, so these are the two companion podcasts joining forces, uh, and it was great. We had a great session. We just we're still talking, but we're running out of time here, so we had to kind of get roll. We got a roll, and uh, Larkin ain't got no time for banter. Have you noticed that? Uh, I know he was really tight on that one. You know Larkin. this. You know that's where. Hey, the, you know what? That that, hey, that reminds you know me. <laughs> that reminds me. Larkin used to invite me to go run. Uh, hey, rap, you want to go running? And then it would take about a quarter mile before he just takes off. He goes running on his own. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, great. Let's run together. We're going for a run, Larkin. Hey, man. And he just. Don't he don't, don't start. He don't, don't slow, start. Slow but inevitable That's slide. It has taken place like, hey, now. you want to hang out? Let's hang out and no, banter. No, no, oh, no, no, no. We got things to do. You, you don't start over here. How about that Lords to Lords ride? Uh, and you hit me with that one hour holy hour as we kick off our ride. I was like, oh, dude, is he mad at Wait, me? Wait, you got to tell like, that yeah, story. Yeah, Patrick, please tell the story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, dude. We rode from Our Lady of Lords in Denver. Up to Our Lady of Lords in Georgetown. 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 And up, up to the top of the mountains. Sounded It sounded doable. I didn't think it'd be that <laughs> tough. I figured it was going to be about 50 miles uphill one way, 50 miles downhill. Patrick uh, had been riding for maybe three weeks. Yeah, pretty young in my experience. And um, <laughs> we leave. It's freezing. We left at like 7 a.m. And Father Mike kicks off the bike ride with... A holy hour and just takes off dead silent. We're we basically didn't tell you, right? Didn't tell me. I had no idea. Yeah, we're cruising down the street. I I was like, gosh, this is gonna be. And he, you had your headphones, I didn't. I was like, this is gonna be the worst, loneliest (laughs) bike ride of all time. (laughs) And then then coming back downhill, you persevered though, barely. I mean, we got to, I think we were at Cabrini Shrine. And I was like, all when right, we, when we now finally, we can talk. Right. And he's like, what? What's happening? I thought we were doing the whole thing in silence. That's my bad, dude. Yeah, I If I haven't it. apologized before, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please ride with me again someday. Uh, riding's a little bit out of the... Yeah, no. I'm, a, I'm okay. a long shot all from right. that one. Maybe that's too Zwift. Early. I think I saw you Zwifting the other day. I don't Zwift. Oh. Nope. Saw I will never rap. sink that low. Okay. Father Mike uh, is a mutant uh, athlete. If you look at him, Polly Bleeker, uh, the guy's an animal. And uh, that's an old reference now. Yeah, it is. is. Juno, the Uh movie. Michael Sarah, the actor. Yeah, what's that from? The he's an actor. (laughs) No, but Polly Bleeker. What's that? He's just a dorky character who is kind of a a runt, I guess. Mike without the pharaoh. No muscle. Without the pharaoh look. Yeah. Looks like him. Whatever. So, I don't oh, know why yeah, we're talking that. about this still. Yeah, Michael Sarah. That's right. You do kind of look like Michael Sarah. <laughs> Let's go. Holy hour on the bike. No more banter. You know, we're going. Hey, you know, well, I tell you what. So this is, as you know, one of the critiques of Catholic stuff. Yes. Is people love the banter, but they will say sometimes there's a lot of banter. A lot of banter. And uh, I think we're, uh, we're, 
We've had a great. Actually, it's funny. A lot of a lot of our people were like, "We're listening to the Gregorian rant." We're they, they moved on uh, during the break, and uh, hey, but I am happy to say he's taking a phone call. Father, am I taking a phone call? Like right I told now. you guys, we did see a big uptick though. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys gave us a shout out, you guys have been very kind. Yeah, thank you. You really have been. Yeah. We appreciate it. You've been are, very hey, good to our. Hey, Mike, are we are we uh, in, interrupting your phone call? Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, unbelievable. This was like a few episodes too. Father Brian, Father Joseph mid, Cow, mid episode, wanted to make coffee, an espresso. <laughs> Walks out to the kitchen. I was like, "Looks like I'm doing cool. This. I'll just buy some time here." Yeah, yeah. It was a good. Hey man, I need my coffee. If, right. if I don't have my coffee, I'm not good for anybody. Hey, we is. got four. We got four guys here. You guys can carry it. That's right. Yeah, we gave you a shout out. We gave you, you a plug. I appreciate um, it. We gave you a plug about. Six months before you started your podcast. That's right. And everybody was looking for it and it wasn't, it wasn't alive. I forgot about that. that actually pushed us into the podcast because then we had yes. to do it. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, I think we I had to buy stuff like super that? quick. Yeah. See, who I came up it. with the I name? I love it for you guys. No, no, no. Oh, you did. Gregorian Rant. Look at yeah. that. Really? Was that your name? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I for, yeah, I yeah. We were all that. sitting up in the kitchen throwing out ideas and then. Mm. Father Mike threw that out. You get any royalties on that? So, I wish. These guys how about, are uh, how about the Bella big Fleck? Bucks. Is Bella Fleck in here? Uh, Bella oh. Fleck and I are... Don't we, bring that. Don't bring that it's our subject. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. We're in very good state legally now. Everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> we had about a year of... Had to get our shady kind of mafia in order, and uh, everything is good now. So Good. Dude, and it's per- fun. And Perry this West is- signed a very long document saying he would not uh, sue us. For because he's the music. Yeah, what do you guys do cool for jingle. music? We've had so Emily's in there now. Carrie, who does the six p.m. master, she's she's you know been working, but we haven't seen anything. She was. She sent a intro. first draft, yeah. which I thought was phenomenal, and then I need to circle back with her. Yeah, right now it just exists of, uh, and we're off. Is and it a off. is it a, a musical intro or is she gonna sing like diva? Gregorian rant. She took the Ace Ventura like kind of Gregorian chant intro and then blended our voices in Whoa. it was pretty good or dance track you know what i haven't listened to in a while i can't <laughs> really remember it but but emily carey who you know i think i don't know if you've been at a 6 p.m mass here uh, a it's couple weeks ago we, amazing oh, she's yeah. fantastic she is that amazing voice. she has i mean her voice is incredible yeah yeah so it's almost as good as mine that well, is true right it's cool to be back here it's cool to hang with you guys thanks for doing this it's really uh, been a dream we for had a long a, time. Hey, we had a... Uh, I just say, well, if we could get those Gregorian ranters. We, we had Father Mike, just a shout out for you. I have a girl in RCIA, Peyton. Shout out to Peyton. She was at... She goes, <clears throat> I was at the cathedral the other day, and there was this like, super cool priest. Wow. And I was like, that's objectively false. <laughs> yeah, she didn't yeah. know. But Sweet, she was like, who cool is this deal. Father Mike? This Father Mike guy's amazing. And her mom, Michelle, was asking me, she's like, isn't that the priest who was at Lord's? I'm like, yeah, that's my buddy, Father Mike. Yeah, he was unremarkable then. He was unre- <laughs> he, he didn't have as cool of a... <laughs> now he's got a cool a stage. A goatee. He's got, now hey. he's got his crazy goatee. That's right. So, All right. All right, let's save the rest it. of the um, shout-outs for the end. We'll do this Catholic stuff style. How does that sound? So, All right, the topic, gentlemen, um, don't be weird. That's what we're looking at. But uh, we're going to take this in two different... I feel cl- like this is a setup. <laughs> <laughs> These are all the t- this is why we decided them before you got here today. No, um, this is not a setup. This is a uh, something I want to. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on because you guys are all working in the parish. Um, 
my men at the seminary know there's one rule, don't be weird, uh, which I took from Bishop Vetter, uh, Bishop in Helena, who was in seminary formation for a long time. And uh, so the question, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a weird Catholic or a weird priest? Um, and there's a lot of weirdness happening uh, in the church, but I think we want to first just figure out kind of what are we talking about there. And then I mentioned to Patrick and Brian uh, that I have some specific things, some kind of isms that I think are starting to happen in the church that are making the kind of intra kind of parish culture weird and polemical and problematic. And it's just good to kind of acknowledge it and talk about it. But I want to first start with just like, what do you, what, when you think about weirdness in Catholic life, what is that? What are we, what are you hearing? Do you mean aside from Father Mike? Other than Father Mike, yeah. There you go. Who's, that's good weird. I'm right? so afraid. This has already got me nervous. I'm like, this is going to come back to me. Right, why don't you start us I, off? No, 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 no. I'm not going to start off because all I can think of is like, I, I, how is it going to not be insulting? Well, first I don't off, be insulting. The, the, the point of it is that uh, you're not weird. You're not, what we're ta- I, you're not what I'm talking about. When I tell my guys don't be weird, it doesn't mean don't do funny, crazy things. Um, it, what I'm talking about is strangeness. Yeah. I'm talking about inhumanity, um, a kind of... It's oh, not, here, I got an example. Yeah, so let's go on that trajectory, not not your kind of funny, kind of bohemian thing, which is no, delightful no, 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 and we no, love. No. I don't know? think... No, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to put myself in the spotlight. I can be weird. Um, but I, I think, uh, here's, here's an example. I was helping out, um, one of these Catholic programs with a lot of missionaries involved. And, um, one of the guys fresh off of a a retreat, um, was kind of like over spiritualizing everything in his mind. And he had the impression that he had this sort of direct line to the Holy spirit and the inspiration of God. And he shouts from the back of the room, oh, yeah. Father, I want you to come to me. <laughs> and, and I'm distributing communion to all the kids who are very reverent and the place is quiet and prayerful. And this guy goes into this ghost mode. I want you to come to me. And everybody's like, what? Everybody feels very uncomfortable. And, um, and I say, no, you got to come forward. Please get in line. <laughs> and and I talked to him afterward, and um, I have respect for this guy. I think, you know, everybody goes through their, their kind of formation and growth. But the idea was he felt, like, inspired in the moment, you know. He was, uh, he had had some sort of experience of, of the uh, diamond. healing of father wounds on his retreat. And part of that was this, you know, the father coming to him. And he was kind of reliving that in this situation that was absolutely inappropriate and awkward for everyone and a huge turnoff. But he was he was um, driven by his emotion and impulse. And he did something extraordinarily weird. Right. Um, But people I, I think that's one brand of weird, which is I have this kind of direct line to God. And I can tell people what, what God wants for them. Mm-hmm. And I know immediately, very easily, what God wants for me. And a lot of times it can be reduced to sentimentalism. Whatever I feel and whatever I w- like want to do in the moment is going to be God's will. Because I sort of plugged into the outlet. I think that's a great example. And uh, to share another example along that line, 
Um, you played in the Vigil Praise Band at one point, didn't you? Yeah, you know the story. I was thinking the same one. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So, Patrick, uh, Vigil Praise is Eucharistic Adoration, Confessions, uh, and it's then, like Encounter for us. Okay, at the seminary, we, back in they still do this. It was last weekend, um, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, the guys up in Milwaukee copied us, Coriezu, uh, or that's in Minneapolis, but you know, we're the OGs of this, uh, at the seminary. So anyways, back in the day we were playing and this guy, um, is in the front row, not a seminary, not a seminary. Um, and the band is kind of playing off to the side and we're all kind of playing guitar. We're doing whatever. I'm probably on the bongo. I kept getting demoted from worse instruments every year. Somebody better. They're like, you're going to learn bass this year. I'm like, fine. And then they're like, you're going to play the bongos. <laughs> I was like, you're going to be the sound guy now. So uh, I don't know. I was probably bongos at this point. Um, but the the music is playing and it's really beautiful and everybody's praying. And all of a sudden this guy in the front row, and it, this was not Father Mike. This is another dude who was not in seminary. He starts kind of swaying his hands. And then he really starts swaying his hands. And then he starts really swaying his hands. And then all of a sudden, before you even know it, like five feet away from us, rips his shirt off and Whoa. passes out. Goes for it. Just completely passes <laughs> yeah. out in the pew. This is in front of everybody. Oh, he was in, he was inspired, baby. And so these two seminarians like come down the line and they're like picking him up and they're dragging him out of the, the thing and his shirt's off. And it's just like, what just happened? This is so weird, right? That's the kind of over-spiritualizing a uh, weirdly sentimental thing, which I think falsely gets connected to charismatic prayer. Right. Uh, people say, I don't want to be charismatic yeah. because charismatics are weird. That can be, people can be weird. The charismatic thing is one side of it. I think the traditionalism uh, is another thing that can be weird and is increasingly weird. But d- just to put that out there. So I think a big thing, I when you say don't be weird, like the trick, of course, is no one actually thinks they're weird. Right? Of course. They don't. I mean, no one actually thinks they're weird. We might have some quirks, but nobody really thinks they're weird. <clears throat> but one for me, this is one of my big things, is uh, just people putting a disproportionate emphasis in the faith on the wrong things. So in focus, we call this majoring in the minors. And no one. the problem is no one thinks they do this. But I see it. I see it all the time. It feels like to me. And... There's this heavy emphasis on, I had someone that, that maybe all of us at this table know, who shall remain nameless, who is... Patrick, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah Patrick. Steph. Come on, Steph. probably Steph. Who was kind of berating me for not having a chalice veil. Right. And I'm like, this is what you're worried about is chalice veils? <laughs> I'm, I, I was kind of caught off guard. I didn't even know what to say. <laughs> But I, I kind of want, later on, you know, I'm a melancholic, and so in the moment, it doesn't really bother me. And then an hour later, I'm like, what the heck? Like, chalice veils? I'm like, this is this is what you're concerned about? But yeah, that, that's a big one for me. That's where, with that, yeah, the kind of traditionalist thing, it's like, you know, we got you got the plain album, and now a little guy, a, a guy introduces a little lace. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that guy's a little more <laughs> pious. That guy's obviously holy and has better taste. And then there's a little more lace in the next guys. And then there's a little more lace till everybody's wearing some sort of weird lingerie because <laughs> you're trying to compete about the lace. Right. And it's like, all right, now we're, now we're weird. And, but this is the weird part, right? Cause the, I think the, and this is your challenge as a formator, oh. right? Is that you want beauty in the liturgy, but, but it seems like there's, there's the, and I think you want to talk about this, but there's the caricatures of these things. And 
I think the hard part is that there's not a easy line in the sand. Like Patrick, like tell him about like, I think a big moment right with you was like, uh, when you came to mass in the gym. Yeah. I, so I was thinking, I mean, this whole time I'm trying to figure out how to say, uh, what I want to say, but I guess I have to preface it from the standpoint of like, I am a rookie to this whole Catholicism thing. Right. So a lot of things are new for me, but also when it comes to the extreme side really catches me off guard. Like we went to mass, Steph and I, um, somewhere up North and, um, the deacon had like the white gloves and, and I had never experienced the, the gold, um, communion pattern. Yeah. And all of a sudden that came, I thought I was about to get like hit in the face. Like I was like, <laughs> what is that? And it's like underneath. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just didn't know. And then the first time I saw somebody like lay down to receive on the ground, that also caught me off guard. Lay down. Yeah. Like got, got real. No, beyond the knee. Oh, wow. Saw the whole thing. And then the first time I went to <laughs> full send the full like slid, <laughs> I was like, sure, he yeah. fall. What is that? Um, and then when I went to seek the first time, um, really, actually, I think you guys were all there and Goebel wore the American flag yep. in Kansas city. No, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Yeah. I was not there. I would not have allowed that. <laughs> <laughs> But when I saw, you know, the kids all chanting and then everyone like sprinted to confession and I was like, what is going on? So all of that was kind of new, but I think the, so then when I came to Lords and it was in the basketball gym, it basically crumbled all the walls for me. And Steph and I, when she was trying to get me to become Catholic, we bounced around to a bunch of different churches. And for me, it was always like, it's the same thing. Rigid. Um, we're by far the youngest people. Don't really know what's going on. The music's not great. I was coming from the Walmart size, you know, Protestant church, Red Rocks out there. And so it was a whole new world. So when I came to Lords and it was in the gym, the music was good. The preaching was good. It was just a, it all it of a sudden crumbled me. That was it did an not. interim. <laughs> but it got, it got me. Yeah. It, it yeah, yeah. made it easy. But I think the, the biggest one for me now that I've gone through a lot of firsts is when somebody has a life decision or wants to kind of bring the truth in lightly and says, I have discerned about this and I want to break up with you or God has told me to break up with you or I don't like you or whatever it is, but it kind of comes from a place that it's like, no, actually just own your decision. Yeah. God has told me now that I want to take my foam finger and beat you up with it. Um, cause it just seems so lame every time I hear it. And I'm like, dude, just own it. Like it becomes too much, too yeah. fake. You don't like your job. You want to quit your job, quit your job. Correct. You don't have to say that God told you right. to quit your job. It's good to pray about stuff, but you know, I, yeah, I get it. That whole, I, I, I need to discern this is often a time of, uh, I don't want to talk to you about it. Yeah. It's not I, me. I was talking to one of my seminarians about the, something, an issue, something he was doing. I was just like, dude, you got you to stop doing that. And he's like, you know, it really, he said, thanks for bringing that up. I'll pray about it. And I looked at him and I said, I didn't ask you to pray about it. Yeah, I said, stop doing it. Right. And he's like, oh, he's like, I'll pray about it. It's like, don't pray about it. Just change your behavior. You know, like, like it's just, uh, and this has always been a problem in the church, this over-spiritualizing thing. There's a great book by Ronald Knox called Enthusiasm. Enthusi yeah. And he just, he 
what he does is he traces the entire history of the church and he says all of the extreme movements that break off and become heresies start as a small group of people and there's a there's a small kind of subculture of what he calls ultra supernaturalism basically exactly to mike's point and what we're saying which is i know better because i have an unmediated and direct access to god through the holy and it's the holy spirit being untethered from christ and from the church and that that's where we get you you can start with montanism in in the third century you can see joachim fiore in the middle ages like all in the radical kind of uh, spiritual Franciscans that this was all heretical groups into a lot of Protestantism. It's always the same thing. Um, Jansenists uh, are probably the same. Exactly. Jansen, mm. He has a chapter on Jansenism. It's it's unmediated, um, disconnected thing, and and then discernment becomes power. It becomes a control thing. You know, uh, God told me to tell God you that you're me. a jerk, and it's like I can't have a conversation with that because. You just trumped reason with your yeah. your divine illumination. God and club. So there's a real loss of like just rationality, um, and I think the it's the Holy Spirit disconnected uh, from from Christ, the incarnation, humanity, and because uh, at the end of the day, I think humanity is the it's the antidote to weirdness. It's that's what resonates with people, whether they're in the church or in the world. It doesn't matter if you're a human person and you just relate like a human. People experience that as normal. Yep. When they experience that as normal, they say to themselves, oh, maybe this Catholic thing is not insanely weird, which is what it is for people like mm-hmm. in the world right now. This is just a very weird thing that we're doing. When I see it, I mean, we all do right now, but I, I feel this among, and, and among people who I love, but I, but there's, there is this tendency and it, it seems, you know, I, mean, I know it's always been there, but it does seem like a very current issue in the church. And it's, and one of the things we talk about in the companions as we talk about muscular Christianity and <clears throat> where uh, basically being more hardcore is seen as a virtue. And uh, we talk a lot on the on the Gregorian rant about how St. Thomas says that uh, something is not virtuous because it is difficult, but because it's good. And it seems to me that, that part of what goes along with these things is an emphasis on something. If it's difficult, it has to be better. You know, if I'm if I'm doing the yeah, harder thing, rigorism. yeah, and and, and that there, there seems to be a certain flavor of that that's current today. You you had said something last podcast that uh, Father John that uh, from the standpoint of I, I think I've again I have to tread lightly here, but when I was in, in Indianapolis um, at that C conference and all of Steph's focus friends were talking about um, how the mass should be in Latin. And you had touched on last podcast of how we're hemorrhaging people falling out of the faith. And my argument, my two minutes of exploring Catholicism at that point, I was like, do you know how hard it is as somebody new stepping into the church to understand what's going on anyways? Like, I don't know when to stand. I don't know when to kneel. I don't know these prayers. Still working on the St. Michael prayer, all that kind of stuff. That if all of a sudden all the masses go to Latin, that's going to be a huge hill to overcome. And then I, Steph and I, every once in a while, will go to the Italian mass up at the other Mount Carmel. And I don't find anything um, overly like spiritual in it. 
it's sentimental mm-hmm. and it becomes a, I feel good. I have no idea what's happening, but I feel good. Um, and so it's a interesting kind of dynamic as far as, uh, trying to navigate that, I guess. And like, to your point, the, the one up of like, yeah, I went to confession and then, yeah, I've gone to two confessions today or I did three rosaries. Yeah. Well, I did four and this whole kind of like discern and, and whatnot that it, that to me is kind of where it draws the line in the sand of weird versus being human. You actually touched on this at the marriage retreat with, um, your story of a buddy of, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase and butcher this, but, um, one of your buddies is gay and coming from the standpoint of vulnerability, understanding, holding your truth, but that's the part that makes you human and then break down that stereotype of Catholicism being judgmental and you name it, everything we hear now. Yeah. I think that there's a lot in there that you just uh, said that, you know, we could unpack. Um, But the biggest, I, I tell my guys this, I say to them, I said, the question of your generation is not whether you will be Orthodox or not. The question of your generation is, will you be in the world or not? Mm. Like, are you just going to check out of the world and just say the hell with it? I, it doesn't matter to me. I don't need to ever leave the parish. I'll just kind of dress up in my fancy kind of, uh, you know, obscure medieval garb and just kind of walk around and pretend like I live in the 13th century in my parish. You can do yeah. that as a priest. There's an aesthetic to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so it's really a question of like, are, did Christ... the St. Augustine had this beautiful phrase where he says that he defines the church as mundus reconciliatus, the world reconciled to God. That's what the church is for Augustine. That's beautiful. Why? Because that's a deep cosmic vision of, of ecclesiology instead of the church as this kind of institution that has, has kind of hardened into its form and is just trying to kind of move through unscathed uh, in a very postmodern time and just kind of with the just very kind of wistful and reminiscent of of the ancient or medieval kind of practices and i think that's that's just not a healthy vision of what the church is yeah um, it's um not world not world. not yeah. world and we're yeah. defining ourselves in opposition to the world and you can the further you get the weirder you have to become because i don't want to be like the rest of them so we do we have to build you know, we, I, I have to be a person of another age right? or I have to, um, be floating off into the, into the air or, you know, this sort of progression toward an ideal that is just different than everyone else. So I'm wearing the, I'm wearing the, um, the, ve- I'm wearing the veil and then I'm wearing a, a hood and now I'm wearing a burqa because I'm trying to look totally different and everybody else is just sort of immodest and crazy and i'm not that and so this this kind of opposition to the world um is the this this kind of island building an island and escaping to this island instead of i am a person like everybody else living in a situation like everybody else and then redeemed you know and experiencing redemption um experiencing grace well, I, I want to get to, I think, I want to get to what you're, to the, <clears throat> kind of some of the isms. I think that's important. Maybe this could be a segue to that. But I think, but the interesting point, like, Mike, is, like, all of us at this table would agree that, like, a beautiful church actually matters, right? And so we have, I think, there's a, 
I think, I think the danger would be when a when a formalism, right? When when the externals are not integrated to something deeper. And I think one of the temptations, not just as Catholics, but I think a a human thing is it's easy, it's harder to actually transform your heart and your soul to love God and to engage your humanity. We all kind of desire that. And so, but I think sometimes it's easier to kind of the externals. And the externals matter, right? Like that's the tricky part. Right. I, I think of I think of the church at Lords, you know. I was talking to somebody today about this is that the aesthetic matters. It's, in fact, I think it's incredibly important, but it's not, it's not the first thing. And so, um, in my mind, I don't know. I think maybe we transition to some of these. Yeah, let's, try, let's move into it. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to frame it around that though, because I think that's a very helpful, uh, um, way to think of it is, um, how do you enter? What's the interplay between the externals and the internal? And, and so I want to talk about tradicals, which is this great phrase from Larry Chapp, who's a, just a great kind of Catholic commentator, retired professor. Um, I'd actually love for him to come to our summer conference. He's the guy's a riot. Uh, he's got a great, uh, blog, Gaudium at Spes 22. Um, check it out. He's, he's amazing, but he talks about tradicals. So radical traditionalists, this is the kind of, uh, the spirit of this is not just, there are deep men and women of tradition. Um, some of whom, like I think of Alfonso Pinto is a man who just loves the extraordinary form. He's a professor at the seminary, just a deep man of tradition. That's different than the kind of reactionary, um, kind of caustic um, traditionalism that it has kind of an ossified ecclesiology and just a kind of, it gets entrenched and isolated. It becomes the island to to Mike's point earlier. Um, Wait, this, explain really quick, ossified ecclesiology. So like it's just the church has just kind of, it's just hardened and closed and yeah. kind of just, it's just, it's just think of cement just kind of setting. It's just like, this is yeah. it. And usually very specifically defined. Right. Like this is the church of the twenties is the best church. The church of the fifties, the church under this yeah. specific pope. Well, and I would posit that the traditionalism, the radical traditionalism that we're dealing with, which is destructive and it's not actually helping what um, Ratzinger, John Paul, these guys would call the reform of the reform. So the baby went out with the bathwater in the seventies. All the externals were gone. Priests, clerics off. Uh, the mass becomes a circus. It was just, it just went into insanity. Churches are ugly. So, so now the move is like, we need all the, we need all the externals back, but what are we doing? Uh, I think what we're, tr- what we're attempting is to say, uh, we want Trent again. We want Tridentine Catholicism. So it's not just traditionalism. And though the rhetoric is like, this is the extra reform has gone back to the fifth century, all these different things. It's like, no, what you want is you want the church of the late 16th century. Trent. Trent was a council. It started uh, several decades after the Protestant Reformation happened. It started way too late, uh, unfortunately, but it saved the church, and it was amazing. Yeah. But it was a reactive moment when we were defining and clarifying the errors of Protestant reformers. And so Trent is an inherently reactionary moment, and if you try and take that and just rebuild the church right now in the 21st century, so you have the theology, the morality, the just the the Catholic life, the liturgy, everything from if you just try and take Tridentine thing and re-Tridentine eyes, whatever you want to make up a word, the church now, um, it's inherently reactionary, and it's and it's and it just doesn't fit. 
yeah. it's not the Out right context. So I, I, I think that's the move is like, let's, it's a grab for this. And then this, which, which was a very rich time and, and gave birth to amazing, the counter-reformation, the saints look at John, St. John of the cross and Teresa of Avila and Ignatius of Loyola and these guys, I mean, unbelievable flourishing, but to try and take that and put that on, it's like, it's like putting on a weird costume from a different era. And that's, that's what we're trying to do in the midst of the void that we're living in. It's harder. I think, I think a real renewal is more difficult. And so one of the things as I've aged in life that I feel, I bet, I bet you other guys do too, is, um, we haven't aged as much as you, but yeah. you have yeah. not aged as much as me. That's <laughs> Some of us do it better than others, you know. But uh, but I but I do think as I age, um, a big phrase for me in the last couple of years has been become a cheap orthodoxy. Hmm. Now, it's probably what Shapu said to us in that one conference. So Archbishop Shapu, when we were seminarians, talked about a naive and rigid orthodoxy. And my my phrase these days is just a cheap orthodoxy where people, they, everyone claims it. They say, I am Orthodox. And, and I know what they mean, and usually they're, they're good things. But the longer I've been a priest and trying to be just a good Christian, um, Orthodoxy is not easy. It's to, to actually live the life that God imparts to us, to do it in a way that is faithful and is more than just an intellectual ascent. Um, it's costly. And so I, I, I think the shortcuts maybe are, are part of this for me, that um, I dress a certain way, I have a rigid morality. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I think John, like, and Mike, you might encounter this too. We know men and women, I think, who are imbibing the tradition in a healthier and deeper way. But I feel like there's a lot of shortcuts out there. And and I think in in the real in real growth and holiness and a real renewal of the church is not cheap. It's, it's a much deeper thing and it's not just the adaptation of an externalism. Yeah. I, the, the cheapening. So the Catholic experience, and we, we were talking about this before we podcasted truth, goodness, and beauty. These are the, the buzzwords. Patrick's, around Lord's. Patrick, Patrick has them tattooed yeah. on his chest. So the, the platonic vision of the transcendentals, basically Plato says that um, all of being has these attributes uh, it's true, good, and beautiful. And so the transcendentals become uh, the way that we encounter the meaningfulness of reality. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a uh, college girl recently, and uh, she says to me, is watching Ozark a sin? And I love Patrick. it. Love yeah. it. And <laughs> no, I, I love the show, but also love this question. It's a great this question. Going, this is what's going question. through my mind. Now, I was making Aperol spritzes for everybody, and I was not really paying attention. And so, of course, I, I kind of click rewind later in the night and say, this is what I should have said. The question is good. The form of the question is it, we can improve. I wish I would have said to her, does this show? I don't know if it's a sin or not, but but that's already operating out of a structure of moralism, you know? Like, it's just like everything has been reduced. So the three isms that I see behind truth, goodness, and beauty, dogmatism uh, instead of truth. is a cheapening of truth, moralism is a cheapening of goodness, and aestheticism is a cheapening of beauty. Those are the three things that we end up with if we cheapen orthodoxy. So she's asking a moral question, which is really good, and it was great. Um, I just was kind of thrown off, and I didn't answer well. What I should have said was, 
does it do you experience this show as like are you experiencing truth goodness and beauty in this yes or no if yes it can lead you to god if you're not if not it's it's just like we got to get out of the framework of like the church says i can't do anything and then i'm going to work backwards from that based on the priests that i can find who will kind of let these things slide and it's like that is just i'm just amazed how, and where did she learn this this kind of moralistic structure from catholic school where it's just like these are the rules this is what you do yep and then if you meet like the cool you know the cool theology teacher and like ah but this is questionable and you know this actually isn't fully uh, this level of teaching, and it's just, you get into all that. And it's it's like, like the mom, mom who's buying beer for the teenagers. Right, at least they're not driving. <laughs> it's like, oh. Well, so, she knows that there's something potentially, I don't know, distracting from the spiritual life, destructive. There's things that make her uncomfortable. But I think you have to be thoughtful enough to say, why is this not just entertainment for me, but what, what am I learning from it? On a human level, like these people remind me of, uh, I don't know if it's a comedy, the joy of life and uh, friendship. Or if there's, you know, a drama, it's, um, is, is that a drama? Ozark? Yeah. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like the and, and, depth of character. And what are you looking for? Yeah, right. I don't know. I just like it. No, let's go deeper than yeah, that. Yeah, that's the thing. Deeper. Go deeper. What What are you looking for? Because... For ten, believe it or not, for tens of thousands of years, humans lived without Netflix and they found fulfillment. Like they were able to flourish. So this isn't just like we have it now, now that we have Netflix. Like what, what is the human desire that we're looking to fulfill in this? Those are the questions we need to have. Uh, those are the conversations. If I would have been on my game, I would have redirected it. But to try and help people kind of come out of these things, um, dogmatism, it's, it's the reduction of truth to just all of the external things. So I just, I believe everything that the church teaches, but, but have you, as we were talking about on the marriage retreat, have you interiorized these in love? Do you have gay friends that make you feel like, man, this is really hard. This is a hard teaching. Yeah. Um, or ha- when you hear Christ preaching, like, does it affect you? Does it get to the heart? Um, or is it just kind of like, yep, I already know everything. Cause that was the Pharisees. They had everything figured out. And, and is the cheap orthodoxy jump in really quick. It makes me think of, um, when I read um, what's the book I gave you Paul and the Gift when he's talking a bit about the concerns of um, oh I'm going to forget his name but but some of the some of the more kind of Lutheran thinkers and scripture scholars of our time and Luther himself who are reacting against uh, the salvation history school I, I generally tend to disagree with those thinkers but if you don't understand what they're saying like I remember, I was, so I was reading Paul and the Gift from uh, Barclay and Caseman. And I was reading about Ernst Caseman and his kind of, and Mikey, you would know Caseman, I'm sure, very well. Yeah, he's into apocalyptic. Apocalyptic yeah. is the mother of all theology. It's his famous line. Yeah, and, and from my perspective, I don't, I don't see things the same way Caseman does. But reading his, some of the stuff that they say in there, I was like, this is really important. What he's saying is like, I don't think I agree with it. And that's, and that for me, that's part of cheap orthodoxy is just, and it's almost like a, a, it's a refusal to be weak is almost one way I would say it because I know all truth. I own it. I possess it instead of like, I actually have sympathy with Pelagius. I actually have sympathy with Luther. There was something they were saying that's a really 
it's really important and has um, has has a contribution to the way that the theology should work, you know. And or I have I have sympathies for the tradicals, or for the yeah. charismatic crazies, or for the Protestant church that's entertaining. You know, it's yeah. What are they doing that's good? Right. Can we see? And that's and the the for me people know like the the traditionalist thing is a hard one for me. I, I have some pretty strong disagreements with the traditionalist movement in our time because um, I think they're anti-incarnational. I don't think, like you said, from the <clears throat> they're trying to take the 16th century in my mind and just transplant it right here. And I think that's a big mistake. But I think it is important. I think this is part of like to, to actually have a Catholic mind and heart is to, is to be vulnerable to see the good that other people are bringing. <clears throat> So this has been a sensitive topic for me. Um, and I, from the question of the Ozark standpoint, I'm going to, as you brought this up and dove into it, two wrongs don't make it right. Okay. So I'll preface that. And I know that, but I have personally fought hard specifically in the way that I dress. Um, and it has been a critique of me, um, and where I have sympathy for the Ozark question is trying to engage people outside of the church um, as opposed to people in the church that are more um, traditional and set and check all the boxes, but then are really rude. And yeah, you may be doing things right, but I don't want to be you. Like, okay, great. You're at mass. You're here 30 minutes early. You're doing this. And then I walk in with my Ted Lasso sweatshirt and it's like the worst thing of all time. How dare you? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but then if I'm downtown, I'd rather be wearing that and say, have a conversation with the person who watches Ozarks and know it and I enjoy it, but then say, Hey, come to mass with me. Like it's more to me, that's more inviting than the alternative. And, and whether that goes from just in church or to traditionalism and, Um, any of that kind of stuff. It has been something that I have wrestled with greatly. Um, And then on the flip side, when you and I, Father Brian and I went to, uh, (laughs) we went to CU's uh, practice at CU and I came to pick up Father Brian and I was like just barely becoming Catholic, maybe just confirmed. And FB walked out in his all blacks and and the, the collar and everything. And I was like, uh, do, do you not have, do you need a jacket? I got some CU gear. We can stop <laughs> yeah, my house, man. Like yeah, this is an aggressive sweatshirt. move right now. Uh, not ready. But then how cool was it though, that so many people started walking up? Hey father, like I used to be Catholic, like, and to have somebody like the, and in the companions as a whole to have normal guys that can have conversations that are not weird or super lack of a better word, aggressive or any of that kind of stuff to show the truth, beauty, and goodness of the church outside of just the quote-unquote rules. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that you're doing naturally, and I, I think you're a very interesting case study of exactly what we want, which is to be able to bring a guy in. Or I think of my brother-in-law, Jordan, like normal guys who find themselves dating Catholic women who yeah. then take a, they, get, they take a look at the church, what are they seeing? What is their experience? And thank God you had a great experience and you met Father Brian and my brother-in-law met John Leindecker. And like, 
that's this is what we want and this is what we want to just cultivate more so it's not just like hating on the tratty thing but what i just what i've discovered about when i'm talking to somebody i'm like is this a tradical that i'm talking to they're not interested in questions they're telling me answers Mm. Mm. and they might have a lot of knowledge um but they're they're just busy telling me it's like the it's like i don't want to get on this topic but like the a lot of the covid people on both extremes the kind of super vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers and it's like did you ever just sit down and they just start telling you everything that you should know about and i'm just like Mm. i i wasn't even asking about (laughs) this and frankly i'm so sick and tired of talking about this stupid topic but that's a whole nother thing um so if we if we want to if we want to give a positive kind of reinforcement and do something do something positive instead of just kind of hate on and talk bad about this it's like let's be the kind of people that ask questions and this is Giassani is this great Italian uh, example of this. He used to say, he used to quote um, somebody else who would say, there's nothing more absurd than an answer to an unasked question. Mm. And the reason the traditional thing is getting so weird and getting so detached from the world is because you're throwing answers at people who are not asking questions. And un- until we start to awaken the questions in ourselves and in other people, like the Ozark question, which is a great question, and actually be interested in that, not just have the perfect answer, just like here's what the priest says, here's the textbook answer, catechism answer, and, and don't ever ask it again. Uh, yep. That's terrible. Uh, so I think that that's the, that's the kind of culture we want to, we want to cultivate. I, I also feel like um, being able to engage in those questions is huge. Also, it's beneficial for Catholics. Because I know we've talked about it before, but when I started dating Steph and she, I, before I even found any faith whatsoever, I had a much different position on abortion. It, I didn't know any better on the surface. It made sense and blah, blah, blah. It's a whole, whole nother thing. But I wasn't necessarily fully open about that. And a conversation got brought up and was like, how could anybody believe in abortion? Like you really want to rip the limbs off of unborn children? I was like, <gasps> I have never once thought that. That did not go through my mind ever. Didn't even know that was a thing. But if all of a sudden that's your come from, and it's like, wait a second, I just had a buddy who was in a really bad situation. It was a one night stand, like all this kind of stuff. To then have empathy and the understanding of like as simple as an Ozark question to be like, okay, now I kind of understand why, but it's easy to break down once you kind of dive into it. Right. And I think I find it interesting that it's it's easier for it seems like the the examples I've seen it's often easier for people who are coming from the world and becoming Catholic or getting into this world to have that authenticity. They know themselves. They can just they can live that way, and then they're seeing the difference between um, being worldly as externals and internals. So there's a, there's a worldliness that I think is good. You know, you wear clothes that are normal. You can go to the bar and have a normal conversation. You can have fun with all kinds of different people. And then there's a worldliness that's compromised as a Christian and the opposite of holiness, where you're talking about this conversion of mind and heart around abortion. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are trying to oversimplify to this point of making things cheap. These things are very complex. Mm-hmm. And being an authentic person is very complex and, um, and is, a, is a kind of journey that we want to just rush to the end of. I've got everything figured out now. And it requires oversimplifying everything that way. 
and saying, okay, I need to figure out how not to be worldly in, in any way, rather than this, this uh, mundus rid, reconciliatus. reconciliatus. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I've just been thinking about authenticity. Like, I think a lot of the weirdness that I've seen is people want to grow and they don't know how. So we know that finding an ideal or a person um, that we consider ahead of us or ideal, exemplary, and then imitating them is a way to learn things. However, in some way, we have to put on a persona and say, I'm pretending to be this other person, whether that's John Vianney or St. Therese or, you know, Catherine of Siena um, or my, you know, my neighborhood priest or the pope that I admire or whatever it is. And once we start playing a part, if we don't integrate that into our own, um, our kind of own life, our own um, sense of self and learn ourselves and embrace our, like be ourselves, uh, both as an individual and as a church uh, in our own time and place, then uh, we're stuck becoming more and more of a caricature. And that can be in any direction. And that's kind of that ossification is toward this caricature of over-spiritualization or um, stuck in, in some sort of history in, in a robotic sense of how I ought to live this life. Um, so it's a question of like, how can I be myself? And then also, and how can the church be itself in our time with all the complexity of that, you know, living in the Holy Spirit and responding to the time, you know, how can I take seriously the authority and magisterium of the church in Vatican II and in Trent and today, you know, and then um, how can we live and respond to the world locally? And then personally, like, how can I be myself and um, start to, to, to sort of live that life of conversion, be moving in a direction of growth in holiness, which in holiness means different, while also growing in worldliness in a way a healthy worldliness that is more comfort relating to people who are normal and then growing in normalcy because you can grow simultaneously at both interiorly becoming holier and and also just i don't know maturing i would say into a whole person and not having to pretend at being something whether that's I'm pretending to be very worldly so I can go to the sports bar and then actually convert somebody and bring them to church. What if you just like sports? What if you can just like sports and enjoy being around people who do and talk about sports, you know? So I don't know if it's right to say a kind of holy worldliness, but um, that kind of maturity of self, and they can grow, just to point out that they can grow simultaneously, and that's called Christian authenticity. I think that's... a. Uh the notion of like persona is very interesting. The mask, right? The prosopon from the ancient world of, uh, I'm putting on this kind of Catholic mask. And why I like that image is because, um, when the girl asks me about Ozark, it's like, um, I can kind of con, you know, condescend from my kind of Catholic theological worldview and pretend like I'm in the 16th or 13th century or whatever, and give the perfect kind of response. Or I can be like, yeah, we're both really postmodern because we're living in a postmodern world. So we're drawn to things like this, and so is the whole world. So let's be interested about that together. But let's do that in light of where we're going in Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's not a prosopone. It's not a mask that I put on. And um, I just think that like the weird 
reactionary thing is killing the spirit and it's killing mission. Like I would, the, the last of the three is in some ways the most concerning for me, and I won't go into this because we're running out of time, but um, of dogmatism, moralism, and aestheticism. Aestheticism is really on the rise. Aestheticism is not beauty. Aestheticism is kind of the love of the external, as Father Brian said, without the, the internal, without the content and the, the meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, we are obsessing over, and I'm talking about like our friends who were converted, who were in seminary, who were in focus, who are who are now young Catholic families living on the south side of Denver. Like it's, it's like if you're shifting parishes because you don't like that Father Brian doesn't do enough incense or doesn't use a chalice veil or whatever external. It's kind of like we are so down, lost in the minutia, and we're wasting so much energy shifting because we're, we're not actually like we're just redistributing catholics everybody's like which parish is growing where's the hot place to be you know and it's like it, it's just this kind of huge table that's shifting um people in different directions based on what's trending right now and it's like can we just stop talking about this and start talking about christ and about being in, being in the world means being in mission and being back in touch with it and uh i think that's to your point mike of like what does it look like like an authentic worldliness mean and how does that kind of kind of unmask this uh weirdness so i yeah, can i give the my response to this ozark question um which is simply i i don't know i've never seen ozark and um i like people who have told me about it um so i'm open but i don't know i don't have i don't have an answer you know just just being real that's when you had said this too, with um, looking up to saints or any of that, you know, the Pope or whoever it is that might be your favorite and the mask. The other one that I felt too is especially coming into the church, but on the podcast itself, I mean, I, the, <laughs> we've had a lot of feedback, but the one I got destroyed on was when I said, I don't know the St. Michael prayer. Like I, it is kind of basic, but at the same time, no one taught me, no one handed me that script. Or when we at the school, all of a sudden it's like, it seems like every day there's a new novena that lasts nine days and this crazy <laughs> thing. And I'm like, what novena is this one? I can't keep and up. I don't have enough days. I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> and opening up about that though, and just saying it, like I got eaten alive, but then I also had like several people come up to me, like whisper. Yeah, I don't, I don't know it either. Thanks for bringing that up. Or like, I don't know what a novena is, but it is this, all of a sudden it can ramp up to where you're just trying to hang on and like, Oh yeah, I've been, (laughs) I started that novena last week and it's like no idea where to even find that thing, let alone like be able to open up about that and just kind of like, which I then think that allows you to really dive into your faith. I mean, to be able to keep up with you guys, you've been studying scripture for how many years and I'm trying to just dive into the listening to Steph do the Bible in a year app and try and understand what I'm reading. It's a whole different ball game, but just being real about that. And I'll, this is my, this will be my final point. The, um, I think the temptation for me, and I think for a lot of people is that I've made a lot of sacrifices in my Christian life. And I want to measure to say that I'm doing it right. And these externals provide something of a measure like I know that novena. Yeah. I know more than this person theologically. I uh, know how to comport myself in a, a church. I have strong opinions about what a church should look like or practice should look like. And these provide measures. Um, but the, the difficulty is that there, there aren't measures. 
Not really. I mean, to a certain extent, you can see the fruits of faith, hope, and love growing in your life, but you don't always you don't always have a measure. But those are those are those easy kind of I can convince myself I'm holy and other people. Yeah. Can I? <clears throat> I let me jump in with that. I think I might have a mic drop. We'll see. All right. Here we go. Yes. But uh, I'm gonna steal Father John. You want a drum roll? Thunder here, but <laughs> but Baldazar is just going through my mind right now, and he's very big on. You know, what, what we try to do when we come to faith, I talked to my RCIA class a lot about this, is that, right, when we tend to move from something that we know more to something we know less. We want to measure. And so we want to measure Christ by our own categories of knowledge. But Balthazar, right, talks about how, what if the thing you're trying to measure turns out to be the measure of everything else? Mm. And I love that. And for me, I think that's, I never could have articulated that when I came to faith, but that's what happened was that Christ became the measure of all other things. And I think with, and I want to bring this back to beauty and to the aesthetic kind of reduction. Um, this, I think this is so powerful and I don't, I don't know that I know that I don't do this well. And I think none of, nobody does it perfectly, <clears throat> but, but I think w- when we approach these categories, one of the things that's always in the back of my mind is that with the transcendentals, I think we do this as well, is we take the things we know and a worldly sense of goodness, beauty, and truth. And then we try to measure God's fullness of these things. And in, in Balthazar's work, right, <clears throat> the, the incarnation and the paschal mystery of Christ and the crucifixion somehow redefined what beauty is, right? Mm. And I think about this a lot when I hear people in the church right now talking about beauty. Mm. And, and it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to integrate because I don't, I don't think we should be singing 70s folk songs at mass. But I'm also weary of, I think we use human categories to define divine beauty and you would never call the crucifixion beautiful. Yeah, that's a good example. And so I think I think for the Christian, right? Like, and I think to again, Balthazar has helped form my thinking on this a lot. I hope he has. But the transcendentals as the radiance of the inner essence of a th- of what a thing is, right? Um, and so, so beauty in some sense, right, is the is like the splendor or the light that radiates, not literal light, but like the communication of a thing of what it is in itself. And, um, and I think that's why there's such a danger when we, we focus merely on the external. Um, and so I don't know fully how to articulate that. That was uh, a beautiful summary of the, uh, both theology of beauty, which is, uh, at the heart of his project, and I won't go into that of how it's being misread or mistreated, but um, I think that's a great stopping point. Um, Christ, the measure of all things, but a measure that is itself immeasurable. So to your point, to Mike's point earlier, um, the transcendentals invite us uh, and point to God, but we can't turn him back and point him to ourselves, uh, especially beauty. We can't grasp mm-hmm. with beauty. Dante, I could go into this forever, but Beatrice... The whole Paradiso is about him understanding how Beatrice reveals the beauty of God, 
With her eyes, right? With her eyes, but points mm. to God because he keeps looking at her. And then finally he turns, she turns him in the end of the Paradiso towards God alone. And so we love the th- created beauty, created goodness, created truth, but we love it in divine goodness, divine beauty and divine truth. And our, our just our praxis and our life as a church in pilgrimage through the world has to reflect that. So shout outs, boys, and then we'll wrap it up. Larky's got a meeting here. We got to get going. I'll let you guys do shout outs. I'm going to run. Okay. Later, Larks. Good to see you, man. Likewise. Well, just wait one minute. Just one minute here. Okay, let's just finish. I I have a shout out for, I've been in correspondence with, uh, you know Hebrew, right? No. How do you pronounce this? K-A-L-L-A-H. Kala. Okay, she goes by Kayla, but it's a Hebrew name. Kayla. I mean, Kayla. Kayla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. What does it mean? Uh, Kala. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. So, Kayla and Jason Oaks, uh, shout out to them. I've enjoyed uh, some great correspondence and banter uh, over the last month with them. Thanks for listening. Oh, I'll shout out. uh, I was just talking about my first grade class last uh, podcast. So thinking of old friends, uh, Nikki and Jesse Shuckman, Eric Tormolin, Jordan Van Wyk. You got (laughs) Nicholas Lambert. You got. Are you uh, trying to torture Larkin Tom right now? And Brian Polk. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, How many classmates did you have? <laughs> shout out. Everybody's cool. I miss you guys. Childhood was fun. I'll go uh, my old football coach now that we went down that road. Brian Cabral did the reading at the wedding. And Cabral did Cab- the reading at your wedding? Yeah, yeah. cool guy. Whoa. Falling away Catholic. Yeah. So I'm trying to get him to listen to the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay. You got one? No. Nope. Can, I, can, I, can I do this one now? Yeah. All right, big shout out. Hopefully, so we're doing this before Easter, but this should be released after Easter. And so, my dad is coming into the Catholic Church. Oh. Boom! Which is that's beautiful. My mother's been praying for this. He doesn't like attention, so don't bug him. But he's been. Oh, it's my amazing. mom's been oh, praying for this awesome. for forty-five years. It's amazing. Yeah, give me so God. Yep, that's the ultimate shout out and congrats, Love you, Dad. To, congrats to Edward. Groucho. 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 He's in. All right, Gregorian Rant Boys, thanks Thanks for uh, doing this. We'll do this again, hopefully, uh, sometime soon. Uh, So for us, catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. And for you guys, rant at lordsdenver.org. Thanks for listening. God bless you, everybody. God bless. God bless.